it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, we meet Steph Constantoulis and Max Hamilly from Filter Brewing. Steph is a co-founder of Filter, and as you'll hear, he describes himself as being classically trained in branding, and you'll hear what that means in the chat, with experience at some of the largest drinks businesses in the country. Max also is classically trained, this time in brewing, because Max hails from Bavaria and studied brewing and beverage technology at the iconic Weinstefan University. And he also built his experience at Reidenberger Brauhaus. So what happens when the classical meets the craft in Sydney's inner west? Well, that's what this chat ends up being about. We discuss branding, the drinking cultures of Germans and Australians, and what role prescriptive regulation may or may not play in that, how the Rheinheitsgebot impacts modern craft brewing, and what's happening at Filter as Sydney's inner west develops as a craft brewing hotspot. It's a fun chat, and for all the ground it covers, it left so many places that it could have gone. I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. And welcome to the conversation, Stefan Constantoulis, and also Max Hamillay. Now, have I got those? I, I got it right off mic, but uh, did I do it okay that time? Mate, I'll, I'll give you a thumbs up for that, mate. Okay. Well done. I mean, uh, as I said before, it's not even my term is not even German, so good pronunciation. <laughs> so <laughs> it's to go up from here, mate. <laughs> so if you're listening, I'll just get Max uh, to identify himself so people recognize the voices. Yeah, so uh, this is Max. Hi to everyone. Um, I'm originally from Germany. I'm head brewer at Filter Brewing. Steph, uh, just so everyone recognizes your voice. Yeah, mate, um, I'm the non-European um, version um, <laughs> in the room. So it should, be, it should be pretty easy to distinguish between the two of us. Yeah. One of us you'll understand and one you'll be scratching your head. Well, <laughs> <laughs> will be then obviously Steph where you correct. Actually, it's which one? Can you figure out which one? That's, that's the yeah, challenge yeah. for your listeners. <laughs> There you go. Well, Steph, we, we might start with you because I, I think um, Sam Fuss is probably the best known filter re- representative because she's, she's been the brewer. She's a you know, sort of large and life character. And you've always been, uh, you know, so far as we're concerned, you're the man who sort of responds to emails and, you know, uh, d- d- does all of the admin side of it. So maybe tell us a little bit about who is uh, Steph Constantoulis. Yeah, mate. So between... Filter started for, for people who don't know is um, so Mick and I, so Mick Neal, we're neighbors, we live in Marrickville. And one day over a few too many beers, we decided that we should start a brewery. And that was really the first kick or the first, you know, little you know seedling for, for Filter to be born. Um, and, you know, so a lot of people don't realize that the two mates of Marrickville is, you know, where it kind of all kicked off. Um, my background, I've had a background in beer, um, so I've worked with the big boys, the bad boys that we don't like to talk about. Um, for... We do on this podcast. Yeah, we're happy to. <laughs> so I worked there for a long time, um, working on you know brands like Forex and Tui's, and you know watched as craft grew. Like working on Squires back in the day when it was almost a dirty word in the in the big beer industry. So um, well, was it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's been. Been a, a journey always in, in booze for me. Um, did a bit of a stint at Jim Beam before starting Filter. Um, 
but yeah, the way filter kind of kicked off was, you know, Mick and I over that conversation. And then about nine months of planning later, um, meeting, you know, Simon, who's our other business partner, um, who, you know, shared our vision and what we wanted to do for the brand to, to finally meeting Sam and um, getting Sam to actually, you know, turn that, that brand vision into actual liquid which, um, you know, she did a great job at. I reflect back a lot on the early days of craft beer where it was, as you've identified, very much a sort of rebellion, you know, an insurrectionist movement against the the, the big brewers. Yep. And as, as it's grown, you know, we haven't seen, uh, and I was very uh, bullish in those days that craft beer was going to become the thing that takes over the market and brings new, new people in. And, yep. you know, I was wrong. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the beer market hasn't grown. There has been a shift in you know, within the market to, to some extent. Coming from the big brewers, you would have had, you know, a, a probably a little bit more, um, dare I say, sober view of the of the beer market when you decided to put in real dollars uh, in, in, into your own business. What, what, what was your thinking around it? You know, what was your read on the market? Mate, for us, it was a fantastic opportunity. And, and coming, I worked at Innovation at Line um, as one of the roles I kind of did there. And we, we knew this thing of craft was just gaining so much momentum. And, you know, when, when Mick and I first sat down and we're like, this is the time to get in at the moment. I think when we jumped in five years ago, it was there or thereabouts 450, 480 odd craft breweries. And, you know, you probably know the number a lot better than me right now. Um, I'm sure it's over 800. Well, I think the physical breweries are like filter probably around about 600. You know, and then, then you've got all of the contract brands uh, on top. And I think there was about 450, 450, including contract back then. Yep. So it's, it's almost doubled in those for that five-year period. But for us, we saw this opportunity for, you know, to be part of a growing trend and a growing industry and something that... Um, you know, I guess Mick also coming from a corporate background, um, he was the um, CEO of O'Neill, the manager mm-hmm. of O'Neill Surfwear. We kind of really wanted to do something for ourselves and for our community. And, you know, instead of putting money into, you know, the, the hands of overseas investors, basically, which was, you know, a 90% of the beer industry in Australia, um, actually starting to actually, you know, take a share of that, and put it into our own hands and give it back to the community. And for us, that pie, when we saw it and when we identified where we wanted Filter to sit into it, we didn't want to just become another craft beer brand. And hopefully, you know, you can see that from our branding and the way we, you know, we present ourselves. We we like to be a bit different, but we're also trying to capture new people into this, this category and help grow that pie. And, and I think if we continue to do that and the new breweries that are coming in or, you know, existing breweries continue to have that mentality to grow that pie, you know, for us, we only see up. Uh, I know you may think there's a bit of a you know, slowdown, but I think also the fact that, you know, the big boys keep taking out the big boys in our area, it really skews the market. But that allows, you know, you know the independent, the true independence to kind of take that, that mantle, which is now left from, you know, the sale of things like Stone and Wood and Bolter. So for us, we only see it as positive and upside. Well, we might come back to some of the mechanics of uh, of the brand, you know, particularly the the, the branding, which was so distinctive um, when you launched. But we might uh, introduce you, Max. So clearly, not from around these parts, you know. Hello. <laughs> for, for somebody who's on a beer podcast, um, you know, I, I, I love that you are German. 
you were trained at the Weinstefan uh, Brewing Academy. Um, you know, you, you learned to brew. So it's, it's, it's a very authentic brewing conversation that we're having today. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you came to, uh, to, to be a brewer. So yeah, you obviously figured out the staff was just on the on the talk, and that's the one with the second language as English. Uh, <laughs> now the one with first English as first language. <laughs> so yeah, um, let's start from the beginning on. Um, uh, so uh, far back, I would say in uh, 2006, I actually did my compulsory service in the army, and uh, we still had compulsory service in Germany. And uh, during that time, I was like thinking, hmm, what do I want to do? Had my high school degree and uh, didn't want to, didn't really want to do any well hyphen like normal trade. I want to do something extraordinary. I was like, okay, become a brewer. So I started my apprenticeship 2007 with a well-known brewery in the southwest of Bavaria, where I'm also well, I'm from the east of Bavaria. The brewery is in the west. Did an apprenticeship there for three years. Then worked as a lab brewer, like in the laboratory for another year. And yeah, during that time, I felt like, okay, you like the job. It's working actually as a, like a mechanical brewer, doing a lot on the floor and stuff. But you want to kind of, you want to, um, yeah, improve a bit in your knowledge and stuff. So then I found out, okay, you can study brewing and beverage technology in Munich at the uh, Weinstefan University and uh, that was for me like oh perfect that kind of like uh, they kind of came straight towards me and I was like I got to do this so applied there and uh, started there in 2012 and did a five years bachelor of engineering degree uh, there was also included winemaking spirits water technology microbiology a little bit of uh, actual manufacturing of the of the uh, hardware and stuff, it, what, what's going on at the brewery. But obviously the main focus was on beer. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed that, uh, that course. And in the fifth semester, uh, we had to do an internship in a brewery. And we kind of, yeah, we kind of free choice where to go. And I was like, no, nah, I don't really want to do it in Germany. I'm going to go somewhere overseas. So I started looking for, uh, for breweries around the world and I, like a lot of people in the in the in Europe kind of would probably start to like look at the US. To be honest, the USA was not very responsive. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kind of it was already March and I wanted to get something by June. I was like, hang on, there's a country down south somewhere. <laughs> it hasn't really been on my on my radar yet. So there you go, you haven't looked in Australia yet. Maybe go down to Australia. So um, uh, I found out about the Australian brewery in Rouse Hill, northwest Sydney, and um, shot them an email, the uh, email to the former head brewer, Neil Cameron, and he kind of responded in between eight hours to me and just said, yeah, cool, when do you want to come? And the whole thing was set, and long story short, I did the apprenticeship, uh, the, the internship with them, they hired me after my, after I finished my course in Germany, uh, end of 2015 again, and then we applied for a skilled working visa. I came back in February 2017, pretty much the same year when Filter started. And I worked four and a half years with the Australian brewery, started uh, as lead brewer with Filter Brewing last year under, under uh, Sam Fuss as f former head brewer. And uh, yeah, well, and after another eight months, having great experience with Filter and just absolutely love it here, 
now fully in charge as Hepra and um, excited to put my stamp on it, right? <laughs> Coming from Germany, which, you know, clearly has a beer culture, a culture of drinking beer, um, and, you know, it, it's embedded in, in, in the national... Who told you that? Now that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, again, do you? Like, does Germany? Because that's one of the, you know, it, it's certainly a trope that people um, like myself perpetuate. You know, does Germany have a culture of respecting and drinking and enjoying beer um, as, you know, just part of the cultural identity? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think um, uh, it's a bit more regional, I think, in uh, in, in Germany and especially in Bavaria. So um, while in Australia, of course, the older folks, I would say, they obviously stick to like bigger brands, for example, but they also go into like craft beer um, when it's not too extraordinary, I would say. But, in, but they would also... Obviously, Sydney Sydney uh, people drink beers from yeah from Queensland or from Victoria, while in Germany, for example, their beer culture is very rich. Yeah, very very. Yeah, I'd like to tell you, you know, you wouldn't find a forex in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to name anything. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's a bit different back home. Uh, so. Um, a Bavarian beer drinker, a traditional Bavarian beer drinker, which is which kind of shows the culture, sticks to his local beer. That brewery is maybe 15 kilometers away from him, and it's very unusual that this guy would drink any other beer. So they have very narrow, narrow, very narrow vision towards what they want to drink. Very loyal, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the the younger folks, I would say, let's say between 18 and 30, and then uh, a bit further up to 40, they are a bit more open already. And there's a lot of like, um, yeah, craft beer breweries going on already in Germany, obviously under the purity law. So with our uh, main ingredients in the beer and, um, uh, but they kind of find their ways how to still make very unique beers and new beer styles and bring that to the people. So that's kind of like, it will, from my point of view, it will become part of the culture at some point but so far it's a very a very specific regional beer culture every single state i would say in germany has their own has got their own beer culture with their own beer styles so it's very unusual that in bavaria you would for example brew a kirsch or an alt beer yeah so they brew it up there so but they all kind of stick to their regional beer styles pretty much and that's that's how they also then set up the beer festival and stuff. Like Oktoberfest is just the biggest one in in, uh, in Bavaria or in Germany. There's so many small ones. Uh, they pretty much start from about March and go into October. And yeah, and they have them everywhere in Germany. And they kind of like shows the regional culture. There's not so much a common German culture, always more like state by state. They do their own thing. So had you been to Australia before you took the job down here it doesn't sound like you had been uh so uh yeah i've been uh, uh down here for the internship in 2014. that was your first time here. that was my first time here yeah that was uh four six months i've also been over to beer farm in wa back then and helped setting up the brewery because they were about to start but it was only four six weeks so i only had like a little bit of an influence for that uh so it was my first time and then came back in 2017. Coming from Germany, where you have that very strong regional uh, beer culture, what was your 
impression of Australians and Australian beer drinking habits? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> From the first look, it doesn't look very different to us Germans, actually. When you go a bit further into it, um, I think there is sometimes um, a little bit more in Australia, I've got to say, a little bit more uncontrolled drinking. So uh, I think um, because back home, beer is from 16, for example. So uh, you kind of get slowly used to it. It's a bit like an introduction to the beer wine in Australia from 18. They wait until they get 18 and then they want to get smashed. And when, when you got people that want to get smashed with 18 and they, they keep that habit up, they're obviously going to keep going with that. While back home in Germany, you don't even have to be 16. Let's say you're 13. You're sitting with your parents and with your parents' friends, and they're all having a beverage in their hand. They are probably say, okay, have a soup. You know, just have a soup. That's, that's just normal. So it's not like, oh, everything is forbidden until you're 18. So it's a bit of like a slow process. So that's why... I think um, it's a bit more controlled drinking back home, which doesn't mean that there is, well, less alcoholism, but um, uh, it's, it seems a bit more, more calmer, maybe. Easier step. Just to be clear from yeah. that point, um, yeah. Filter does not uh, condone underage drinking. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Just for any of the ABAC people who are listening to this podcast. Um, yes. That's well, it's actually not ABAC. It's yeah. fair listening to it and then complaining to ABAC. So it's, it's not ABAC's fault. You like that? I like that. Yeah. I just had to say that as a comparison, but also yeah. I'm, I'm obviously all for uh, from 18. <laughs> but, but Max, is there a, um, you know, what, what's the social acceptance of, drunken bad behavior for example because in australia yeah you know for better or for worse and probably for worse arguably um there is a fair bit of acceptance that that's just part and parcel of having a night out that someone's going to be badly behaved someone's going to you know sort of lose their dinner um those sorts of things which is a very ugly um side of yeah. you know overconsumption what's what, what is the um cultural acceptance of that sort of behavior and then you know being visibly hung over or obviously hung over the day after a, a night out we, we don't really have much um alcohol laws back home so uh um for example the, uh, rsa for example is something we don't have so um you um when you go out you pretty much well, you don't have a limit on drinks, basically. So, and the bartender wouldn't say anything because it's actually not quite in their right to tell you what to do back home. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, even if you, let's say, throw up in front of the bar, they're not legally allowed to throw you out. Really? Wow. Okay. No, no, no. But, but okay, so, so they're not allowed to, but it would it be a common occurrence or to be a regular occurrence? No, or, no it's not would, because, as I said before, I think it's a bit of a calmer drinking back home. People mm. definitely get wasted, but I think they a bit more conscious about that they don't want they don't want to embarrass themselves. So that's probably a bit different. I mean, there's of course there's fights and stuff back home, but it's a, uh, I think it's 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 uh, it's, it's very low. I wouldn't even only compare it with Australia now, but even with other European countries. I think in Germany it's kind of was almost going to say cultivated drinking. Um, yeah, that's probably what it is. And um, I mean, 
and then the bartender, for example, is allowed to have a drink with you. It would even be rude when you come to the bartender, you know, you know each other, and then, oh, let's have a drink. And he says, no, you probably would be, I probably would be saying, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, different countries, different, different cultures, it's different yeah. cultures. Yeah. So that's, uh, so um, there's nothing I would say I would prefer, whatever, because uh, you obviously you adapt to wherever you live, and that's totally fine. What do you think? underpins that difference in alcohol because it, it sounds like you don't need laws because there's not the behavior yeah yeah so one of the questions that i automatically ask is is there a behavior because there are laws there is probably when if, if there if, if there was more laws for example back home or like there is laws in australia there's obviously uh certain behaviors because you obviously then more conscious about okay you still about that like you, you can't embarrass yourself you can get kicked out you uh you can pay a fine you um maybe you can get banned from the pub or whatever i mean that that happens back home as well i mean if you i would say if it comes to violence back home in germany then this is something where bar staff would say you gotta go because then you physically harm other people right this is the way where and it's the same in Australia, obviously, when you get violent or like uh, abusive or whatever, this is an absolute no-go and then you obviously got to go. It, it seems yeah. to me though, like yeah. we're talking about the differences between two cultures and drinking, but yeah. I wonder what the flip side, Matt, would be if, yeah. you know, someone, a brewer in Australia went over and did the same podcast in Germany, mm. asked the same questions. Would that be something? I'm happy to do it if you want to send me over there, uh, Steve. <laughs> well, maybe. Well, let's do it. But you know what I mean? Like, maybe that culture is like, well, yeah, there are some idiots that like to spoil the fun. But yeah. in general, um, you know, people enjoy alcohol responsibly yeah. and, you know, have a good time doing it. And I think mm. in any country, in my view, it's, yeah. there's always a small percentage of idiots that want to ruin it for everyone. Yeah, totally. Mm. And it's, Absolutely, yeah. And it's... Maybe it is the way we, you know, our media reports on it, or um, you know, that we do get a bad rap on it. I'm not sure. Um, well, well, the, the, and that was where it fascinates me because I, I know in Australia, you know, like if um, there's an expectation that you celebrate with often an overindulgence in alcohol, and so the day after the grand final, like you've got the end of the football season trips where the media actually celebrate the drunken hijinks of footballers mm. and there, there is tacit encouragement of mm. high levels of alcohol consumption and the sometimes boorish behavior that comes with it and i wonder how much that creates a social acceptance which was where i was just you know i, I know that there are differences yeah. in, in in drinking but i just wasn't sure what it was but anyway we were probably we want to be talking much more about craft beer and filter coming from uh, you know germany where you've got the kolsch you've got the you know the the, the classic you know, lager styles um, and hops in the craft beer expression hasn't really made the inroads that it has in places like America and uh, Australia. What was your experience coming from that, for want of a better term, classic brewing style and then coming and having to use hops in a way that you probably hadn't trained in? Oh, mate, that was absolutely exciting for me. That's probably... That pro probably was the most uh, exciting and interesting part for me to go somewhere else because this kind of like specific craft beer lifestyle mentality it doesn't didn't really exist yet back home which is coming right now because so many people back home stick to their to the local beers and stuff and the german beer styles but um that was kind of like my my uh my go-to reason why i wanted to go 
USA, Australia, because I already knew there's craft beer coming up and stuff back in 2014. It already started uh, uh, kind of didn't quite go up the roof yet, but out of the roof yet. But it's it kind of yeah, it's getting there. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to see what's happening, and it's just just so exciting for me to work out of the German purity law and actually be able to yeah, let's face it, um, put different ingredients in your beers, like let's say a fruit juice or lactose or dextrose for your beer or uh, do active fermentation hopping or do um, yeah more driving. Driving wasn't even that big 10 years ago back home. And all that kind of stuff, what I kind of what wasn't practiced back home, I could finally do here and had a way bigger spectrum of, of like creativity. So I was not quite limited when I thought about, okay, I want to I brew this and I want to get this flavor in. But I, I would like to have a, a special ingredient for that to actually make it more towards that flavor what I want now, what I got in my head. And it was in Germany, it was like, okay, I can't do that because I'm kind of stuck to the purity law. While I came down to Australia, no purity law. I was like, well, that's, that's great. You can have like whatever you got in your mind you want to brew, different beer style with combined with this, with that. With, with this ingredient, with that ingredient. So that was the, the very, the very uh, interesting part for me. And that's why I pretty much also sticked here in Australia because first, the first one or two years was like, oh, yeah, I'm a skilled working visa. I'm going to stay down here for a while. But I just, well, now it became my second home pretty much. And I don't have any intention to go home any soon. So... <laughs> So is the Reinheitsgebot, which is a purity law that you're, you're, you're referring to, and correct my pronunciation, Ed, yeah, but, if you like. Reinheitsgebot, exactly, yeah, that's it. Reinheitsgebot. Is it ultimately a good or a bad thing for beer to have strictures like that um, on brewers? I think in terms of new beer styles, creativity, it is something that holds you back. Uh, in terms of uh, regional or countries like uh, regional matters or country matters like uh, for example germany it's an advertisement in europe it's even here even here when it says brewed off the german purity law it's a quality sign and that's what it still is what it is still back home so even when you sell when german beer gets sold to other european breweries then okay german brewers they brew with their four main ingredients and that's it and they, they're not going to put any adjuncts or whatever in, uh, while adjuncts actually, by the way, just mentioned as a side, it's n- nothing that kind of changes the beer or whatever. It's just a bit of a help at some point, sometime, for example, for the water. But um, uh, with those purity laws, uh, with, that, with that purity law, it just, um, it's such so well known that it's just brewed with those four ingredients and everyone knows around the world, okay, that must be then a good beer because it's so... Yeah, as it already says, pure, and um, that's a good advertisement and a good way to brew definitely as well. But in terms of creativity and creating new beer styles, as I said before, they probably should by now maybe loosen it a bit from my perspective, kind of adapt a bit more on today's brewing industry, what's going on, what's possible. I think they... Don't get my work for it, but I think they did some changes already on the purity law back home. So, yeah. So because I, I, I am not yeah. aware of it, yeah. like, well, I haven't 
Yeah. And probably some of your listeners haven't either, Matt. So yeah. So it means you can only brew. Yeah. Sorry. It's a it's certain. Uh, now the purity law is the four ingredients. It's a uh, malt, water, hops, and yeast. So you can't add anything yeah. else. You and could sell it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So only with those four main ingredients, which is obviously main ingredient for every beer, but yep. then everything else is uh, technically not allowed. Uh, I, I know craft beer breweries back home. I don't know how they get around it. I've seen a, <laughs> I've seen a, on Instagram. A, well, I'm saying that if you can go into a pub and have a beer with your bartender, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't use. Yeah. <laughs> Now, so look, there's a there's a brewery in Munich called um, Crew Republic, and um, they posted on Instagram recently um, uh, rhubarb ginger something double IPA, and then even barrel aged after. Oh wow! And I saw the mash because it took a pick of the mash, and there's all rhubarb and ginger in there, and I commented, <laughs> "How do you get away with that on a purity law?" And they just responded with a Smash. <laughs> <laughs> and then probably deleted my comment. Yeah, there you go. That's how they get around it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I think I could talk about uh, German beer culture for forever and how it compares, but let's uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, Australian beer culture for a moment. So, Steph, we heard about your background, your decision to set up Filter, and you wanted to stand out, and the particularly when the filter brand launched. And I remember when I opened the first, you know, sample and the the, the filter XPA with that really seventy retro sort of vibe. That you know, I don't think it's fair to say has been, um, as we like to say at Brews News, homaged a little bit since then. <laughs> but it was very distinctive. What were you going for with um, when you set up the brand? So for. for- I'm classically trained in, in, in brand, which is a great background. So so what does classically trained mean in, 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 in brand, for example? Brand is in, I've worked in a big corporate organization under strict branding guidelines. Right. Makes sense. So, you know, you've got to have, you know, your, you know, your 20 different pieces to form a brand. So I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but it's it kind of gave me a basis to go, there's ways that you don't have to please everyone with what you're trying to achieve. But the biggest thing we wanted to achieve in our brand was we wanted to be seen and we wanted to be known. And in a category which is so clustered um, and a lot of clutter in there, because there's so many different um, you know, uh, products on shelf, we wanted people to be able to go, if they walked into a bottle shop, they could distinctly find filter XBA quite easily on shelf. Mm. So there's a little bit of polarization in them and that's done on purpose. Um, I'd say a little bit because I know if I go back on all the comments and, and everything, there's probably been about 15% of people who absolutely hate our branding. But the great thing about that is they talk about our branding. They're having a reaction to it, yeah, which is exactly, which so is they... a tick. You want people to talk about your brand. Yeah. So if they like it or not, right? Having a slight yeah. amount of yeah. polarization in brand is actually a good thing um, in our view. And it's what we wanted to do. And but it's also paying homage. The good things from what we created with it, obviously from that little bit of something that could you know, create a bit of banter, was we did want a brand that was very different to everything else was on market. We wanted simplicity, we wanted standout, but we also wanted to kind of give a bit of a, a hat nod 
back to the 1980s and late 70s of, of that really old school beer branding. And it was almost similar to the way, you know, Chuck Taylor's kind of had their rejuvenization. It's people like to kind of look back fondly on the past. And if you can kind of give them something in their hand that gives that little bit of a, you know, a nod to, to, to those times, it was um, to us that was seen as a really positive thing for the brand. So I think when we first saw the, the, um, the first bit of artwork back, I remember my, um, the designer said, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine it's 1988 and you've just plunged your hand into I was a, one year old. <laughs> an ice cold esky. Yeah. You don't want to know how old I was there, Max. That's <laughs> and you've just dug down and your hand's cold and you've pulled this can out and now open your eyes and on the screen. He had pretty much his, um, you know, our XBA can sitting there and, and that was it. I don't know what it was, but I just immediately thought of the old Charger, the, the old Valiant Charger for some reason, which it wasn't the colours or anything like that. There was just something about it that maybe there was just the, that was the design at the time that Valiant Chargers were around and there was just something very, yeah, that about There's it. There's something that ticks into your, your the back memory um, and that's what we wanted because that's, again, that piece when you go into to store, then you're going to be able to go, ah, oh, that's filter XBA. So it... it but the way we've always described it is it looks like something your dad used to drink, but the liquid is actually something you want to drink today. <laughs> That's well said. But see, it's funny. There, there, there's something about a brand like that that it it needs to make you feel emotionally like it's something that your dad would have drunk, but there's still a reaction against the thing that your dad did drink, which is on the nose. So it's kind of like it has to be a, a bit of ironic retro as opposed to real yeah, retro yeah, to, to thread that needle. I, I also got to say, I mean, uh, when I, I got to admit, when I, when, I, when I started, I felt that I didn't know yet they're going this way. But then Mick all of a sudden put an um, 80s synth retro wave on. I was like... <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, that's what it's all about. That, it was, that like, was perfect. Me. That was me. That wasn't me. I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, time, yeah, I, and I, uh, I mean, I was born in the late 80s, but still actually I listened to 80s synthwave today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's something me and Max Bond over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, so tell me about the range. Cause so you launched with the XPA. Um, now, I had the Red Ale uh, this week. In fact, I, I took my team out for lunch and it was one of the beers I pulled out to, to match with cheese. And I won't name the other beers, but it was the beer that I actually went back and got more of yep. because it was just such a good beer. It's a beautiful beer. And it was mm. actually, it's funny you say, because yesterday it popped up on my Facebook, um, the five-year anniversary of the Red Ale. And it was around about three months after uh, we launched XBA that we did the, the red. And I know as we were sitting there, you know, Mick, um, Sam uh, and myself, we were like, okay. Sam was like, what do you want me to brew next? And we were like, well, we've got the XBA. <laughs> it's <laughs> Australia's number one pale. It's <laughs> like, um, God crazy, what do you want to brew? She said, I've always wanted to brew a an easy drinking red. And I know Mick and I were at the time, we were like, okay, cool. So have you got some samples? You know, we can try and we can see what they're like. And she's like, nah, doesn't exist really in the market. And we're like, okay, we'll hit the button on 50,000 cans. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was just a, when it came yeah. out, it was just a stunning beer. And it, it really fits, like the mantra for filter we've had, and I probably should have mentioned this with the branding, is we really wanted beers that were really approachable, sessionable, 
even our bigger ABV beers, they're still quite, I'm not going to say they're easier to drink, I think, but without being too heavy in alcohol. Balance is the way that I would describe it, you know, and, and, and again, somebody you know, very smart, much smarter than me actually taught me about the the balance scales, yep. but it needs to be balanced. Yeah, and I think that, that's what Sam's done so well with our, our beers um, over the years. And the red was just a great example of it. And it's, to be honest, the red is a beer that if you ask someone uh, what beers they like a filter and they say red's my favourite, you kind of know that they're a real true filter fan um, because it's just, it's got this little undergroundy kind of vibe to it. People who drink it have solidly, solidly been drinking it for five years. And, and that's a great thing. Um, and it's good to kind of stretch people beyond their, their normal as yeah. well, you know, to ex- expand that taste range of people thinking, oh, it's a red, no, nah, I'm not going to drink that as my everyday beer. <laughs> it's the same thing even with our old ale, to be honest. It's, it's about challenging people that you can actually start, you know, a session on an old or a red. You don't necessarily have to start in a lager or a pale. Um, yeah. They're really good, easy drinking beers that you can, uh, you know, sit on. What sort of feedback do you get to it? Because I, again, you know, going back into the very early two thousands when I was doing, uh, you know, very early beer and food lunches, I would often pull out Rogers yep. because it was a really mild malt based, but didn't scare anybody. But you would still pour it for people, and like, oh no, I don't like dark beers, thinking that they'd tried Guinness once and didn't like the burnt toast flavour, mm. thinking that everything darker than a pale lager would taste the same. You know, what, what, what sort of feedback do you get on that these days? Oh, I think once people try it and you, you do tastings or you do festivals, and when you actually people see, you can see the changing of their face, like they're scared of it in some way, shape or form. But when you actually try it, the surprise on people's face, you know, you're either going to love it or you don't, right? If you don't like those toffee flavours, you're still not going to really like those beers or a roasted flavour. I get that. But for people who do actually like those beers and go, wow, this actually is something that I could sit and enjoy. Mm. And it's not one of those beers that I have to get a 550 mil and share with four blokes. And and that was what really we wanted to do with the red was, again, create a beer. Because at that point, you know, for us in market, there was, you know, the American reds, those big red IPAs, or is it like your English ambers and... They're still challenging beers in, in some way, shape, or form for the for the um, easy drinker. Um, so I think that was really, again, setting about what Filter was really trying to achieve in market. Uh, and you know, I think Red really set that that platform for us, where we do want approachable beers, beers that you can you know you can pick up a six pack versus going no, I'm only going to pick up one can because that that yeah. will do me. Yeah. yeah. Well, it certainly does, and with steak or you know, so a little bit, it's just one of those beers that, particularly for a beer that's got a certain level of hoppiness to it, the the, the balance, it, it's, you know, I, I get myself into trouble saying that hops don't work with um, food, but when it's balanced and all it's elegant like that, yeah. So that the red from from my perspective, and uh, when I when I started with filter, and had the first schooner of it, I was like. This is an awesome beer. This is so great. It actually became my favorite beer of our core range. So um, uh, whenever I take beers home, it's most <laughs> most likely the red. <laughs> yeah, it is. A, so, it's a yeah. really beautiful beer. Yeah, um, it's a nice recipe. It's beautiful to brew. There's no, you know, some beers are a bit 
tricky with like thick mesh and stuff. You, you've heard about that. And uh, it's just the red ale. It smells nice when you brew it. it. It already gives off so many flavors when you brew it. When from the early stage on, when it's in the brew house to the fermenter, to the bright tank, it's just an enjoyable beer in the whole process. Mm. Yeah. And a good yeah. one for the uh, the drinkers out there, mate. It's a nice tip. It works very well as a boiler maker. <laughs> there we, there the flavors work really well together. I will. Uh, I'll remember that because a nice uh, or something along those lines. Even a uh, a nice yeah. bourbon works really well. Okay, maybe not. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll I'll remember that, and uh, I'm, I'm, I might even have a use for that. But anyway, um, I'm very conscious of time. One of the things I really wanted to talk to Steph is, I love. A good brew pub. You know, I, I um, remember the first time I worked, walked into Little Creatures, you know, 18 years ago um, and just said, wow, like this is the future of yep. pubs, you know, because not, not even a brew pub, just pubs, the inclusiveness, the welcoming, the comfort. Last year during a brief interlude um, during the COVID, I got down to Sydney and did, did a bit of a wander and, you know, Filter was one of the places. And so I just sort of walked in unannounced and sort of snuck in. And, you know, from the brickwork outside, you walk in inside and it's just a lovely feel, but it's the most beautiful brewery display I can think of of any, um, you know, brew pub in, in the country where it is really celebrating the brew house from the drinking floor, um, you know, and uh, tell, tell me about, you know, who, who put that design in? And like, clearly it, it was a very subjective opinion of my own, but you know, I've heard a lot of similar responses where people have really enjoyed the venue. Um, we're quite fortunate. So Simon, who I think I mentioned at the start, our other business partner, he's, um, you know, he's built many a pub in Sydney. I won't name the list because there's many of them. Um, so he had a lot of experience in the, the building side. And, um, and we're fortunate and unfortunate uh, in, in a couple of ways to actually be building the brewery during COVID when it first hit. So it kind of meant that that kind of threw out the, the, any chance of us having, you know, expensive architects or designers or anything like that. So really the design you see at Filter was literally the three of us. Um, so Mick, Simon and I are sitting down and going, okay, let's do this here. Let's do this. Let's paint the wall black here and we'll do this and this will make this shine. Let's build a deck so you look like you're outside. That's really how it was built. Um, and a lot of it too was our own work, which you know we're really proud of because of COVID. And I have no skills in building, like absolutely zero. <laughs> I can't even change a light bulb. <laughs> but, um, Sorry, <laughs> I can't. I really can't. I'm very injury prone. And um, but to be able to say that I helped lay the slab that the tanks um, are on is, I think for us was a real blessing in disguise. And that's what COVID gave us. It gave us this ability to to put our you know our own stamp on on the building. And like, like I said, your, your original question, where'd it come from? It just came from us sitting down and looking out at that space. And everything was done, you know, at that stage. It's not like we had a plan back at the start to go, this is the, the drawing, this is what it looks like. We kind of opened the wall up because it used to be a big wall because it's an old, um, old yogurt factory. Once we opened it and started looking, we are going, this would be a great place to, to sit on the deck, which is, I'm sure, where you sat and looked out. But again, we did want to have those clear spaces in the brewery where you could clearly see the stainless and what we're all about is that brewery, but also celebrate inside and, and create like almost like a pub environment. Yeah, and no, very much, very much, yeah. We, we wanted two distinct spaces. 
and it wasn't just the aesthetic either. It was, you know, there was just something about it. And it's it's the intangibles, I think, sometimes where it looks good, but then it also looks good in a way that signals what the space is. And you could tell that there were regulars that were there who were, you know, greeted by name by the the, the, the bar person. But even as somebody who was unknown, walked in, was greeted very nicely, nice menu, you know, and there, there was just something about the traditional old pub feel about what you've done and then the the, the beers are you know are almost an added bonus yeah and, and that's we want to create these spaces we call them spaces here in, in filter and i know you probably haven't been up to Marrickville springs yet our new rooftop bar but that's also a completely different experience think palm springs and rooftop vibes but we created that <laughs> okay. as well and we're about to miami Vice. i can probably let this slip we are about to create a fourth area as well here in, uh, in Filter. So um, we'll, uh, we'll kind of announce that when we get a little bit further down, but it's all about creating these different experiences. And we know that there are different occasions that you want to come to a brewery, but you know, if you want to come and sit and watch the brewers brew on a Friday and sit and have lunch, you can sit there and watch the guys and even talk to the guys and ask them what they're doing. We wanted that experience, but also at night when we turn off the lights, we wanted it to feel like a bar downstairs, like an old pub where you could sit and stand. Well, back in the days when you could stand and have a schooner and talk to people, um, that kind of yeah. vibe. Our bar top down there is came out of one of Sydney's oldest uh, pubs and uh, we oh, re-salvaged it. And um, I can't name the pub, but I can, it has come out of one of Sydney's oldest pubs. Learn something and new as well. It was, it's yeah. a beautiful piece of timber and it was, you know, it was a pain in the ass to actually get back to, to its to where it should, but that's a bit of heritage in that in that pub area downstairs. And then upstairs, we were like, okay, well, there are people that don't really want that experience. They don't want to come and look at a brew. They don't want to come and sit in a pub. They want to come up and you know have a couple of cocktails or you know some beer slushies, which we've um, we've been experimenting with. Um, and it is a very different experience. You can sit out there outside, look at the stars, you know, watch the uh, the, the planes go by, and. It, it, I hope that's what we're trying to create something for filter where everyone can be accommodated. Um, you know, we, we don't like to isolate people. It's not just craft beer drinkers. It's anyone. It's why I think our third beer was a lager. You know, it was, it had to be something that everyone could enjoy. And we've kind of, we've stuck to that mantra the whole way through. And I think, you know, we'll continue to do that because it's, it's, it's seeing us on a good path at the moment. I think that's as good a place as any to leave it. So, Steph Constantoulis and Max Hermelay, thank you very much for joining us for this conversation about not just Australian beer, but German beer. Yeah, it's been really good, mate. And thanks for having us on. Yeah. my It was absolutely my pleasure. And I'll put a link because uh, if anyone hasn't been uh, to Sydney and visited uh, the, the, the Filter Brew Pub, it's it's one of the must visits um, in terms of you know modern you know pub culture. Absolutely. <laughs> thanks, mate. Cheers. And the beer's pretty good too, Max. <laughs> That's good to hear. I appreciate that. Cheers. Thank you. And that was Steph Constantoulis and Max Hamilly. If you're a listener, don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. To join our Facebook group, just search for Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service, or you can email us at producer at bruisenews.com.au to share your thoughts and ideas. There is links to all of those in the show notes.